Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 8, and even after that announcement, we definitely need prayer. So uh, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, it's amazing to see each day that you give us life and breath. As we look at the creation account again, Dear Holy Father, we just stand in awe of how you did it, the way you did it, even down to the very why and how you did it. Dear Holy Father, we just stand amazed at it. That you have been faithful from the very beginning all the way till now, and you will be faithful all the way into eternity future because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we not forget that as we open up your word now and see the very beginning pages of the Bible, who you are. In your name we pray, amen. It would have been great if uh, it was raining today for this opening illustration, but it's not, and God and his providence decided not. As the kids are being dismissed, you guys can go. I'll give them a minute. And kids, if I don't dismiss you, you're always free to go as soon as we get started. So. The rest of you stay put. So, you wake up one morning, and as you're in that twilight of getting up or not, you hear the pounding of rain on the roof. If you're a farmer, you think this is wonderful. If you run the local fairgrounds, you think I'm losing money today. When I was landscaping, and the rain would come, especially this time of year, all that meant instead of mowing, we're going to do mulch, and just grab my raincoat because nothing like spreading mulch in the rain. Everyone responds to rain differently. It's interesting, even the concept of rain and what the Bible has to say about water and everything else. Uh, there's a famous book that starts off encouraging parents what you say matters because this guy's driving down the road, and then this open analogy in this book called Everyday Talk. All of a sudden, one of the kids say, as the rain is hitting the roof, oh, stupid rain. And he turns around and goes, why are you saying that? And he goes, because, Dad, that's what you say every time it rains. And all of a sudden, the impact of that book was saying how our words matter. And my prayer is that by the time we get done today, your view on water, let alone rain, will be vastly different. And uh, the next time you look at that substance we call water, uh, you have a deeper understanding of God and why He created and what He did. So day two is the title of the sermon today, day two of creation. So let's read it in Genesis 1, 6-8. And the Lord said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So remember our creation pattern that we have had so far that we talked about. The idea where God is forming and then He's going to be filling. Remember day one, He formed and He separated the light from the darkness, and then we will not see that back again until day four when He gives sources to those lights. And He even gives them jobs to do. So we have Him forming, and then we have Him filling. And now today, we're going to, at day two, we're going to have him 
forming the water. In day five, the water is going to be filled with all teeming life and everything. And this pattern of forming and filling that goes on. But today, as we look at our passage, we're going to see that God separates the waters. Uh, this, that's why point number one is literally God separates the waters. In the passage, we're going to see, once again, God taking certain elements of nature and separating them and moving them in such a way that the place that He's creating is going to sustain life. So we see in today's passage two different water groups. We have the water above, which God is creating the atmosphere, and we have the water below, where God is creating the oceans. It's interesting, though, this verbiage of separating here carries with it a little bit different than when he separated light from darkness. This idea of separating water in, in the Bible, you're going to see it's like he spread them out. So in your mind, when he's separating, what you need to think of, this Hebrew word here is almost like you would take, now they wouldn't think this way, take peanut butter and spread it across, bread type of deal, but the spreading out, they didn't have I don't know if they had peanut butter back then, but either way, you get the concept of spreading jam or butter or something of that nature, of spreading them, spreading them out. Because if you notice even, the beauty of the water that is here, that is that spreading out, is even in the atmosphere we still have water, and on the, in the oceans we still have water, and the waters meet, and so you would say basically he took the waters and spread them. It's interesting here, the pattern that we see. The king of all of creation is setting out to accomplish a task. And how does he do it? By speaking. Only God can do that. I mean, we need to read this again, because we read it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through, I mean, 3 through 5 here, and now it's the same pattern again. So these patterns we're supposed to think, we're supposed to pick up on. Because remember, when God gives us patterns, we're supposed to think about these patterns because these patterns are pointing at something. They're not just random phrases put together in random ways, hoping that they're moving somewhere. So when you see patterns in Scripture, you need to pause and go, hey, wait a minute, there's a pattern here. What is it teaching? Also, another little part of this is when you see a pattern interrupted for some reason, you need to pause and say, hey, wait a minute, there's a pattern here, there's something that's interrupting the pattern that should cause you to go, why is there an interruption of the pattern? All right, because again, this is God's Word, and when He does things, He does things for a reason. And so what we see here, again, the power of the Almighty, and we see it in verse 6, and God said, let it be this way, and then in verse 7, it is that way. And so what we see here again is God says it, He creates what's going to happen, He says it, He promises it, and it is so. God said it, and it is so. And it is done exactly the way God had said it would happen. I want you to think here for a second. Even before we get into the minute details of all of these things of the waters within the waters, the sheer fact that God says something and it is going to happen and it happens exactly the way He said it, believers, should that not also be one of the greatest, phenomenal, foundational encouragements in our own life that what God has promised, He will complete. Because what He has said, He will do. And we see this in day one and day two of creation. He said it, and what happened? It happened exactly the way He said it. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, if you're looking for that, it is right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. 
speaking of Christ here, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter amen to God for His glory. And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Going back to God who said what was going to happen and all of these things are yes and amen in Christ. The promises of what God has promised are true. And not only that, He has sealed us and He has guaranteed it by giving us His Spirit in our hearts that it will be accomplished. What He's speaking about here is salvation. But the reason why your salvation is sure and will be accomplished is because God has promised it. And the answer is, will it come true if God's promised it? The answer is already yes and amen, and we follow it through. And not only that is your salvation secure, He has given you the Spirit, which is literally the down payment and the guarantee that has sealed you for that day of redemption. This is how secure your salvation is. Just like if you were to go back to Genesis 1, God said He was going to do it, He did it. And what happened was what He said He was going to do. And you go, boy, that sounds kind of elementary, but I would say, oh, believer in myself, you don't believe this. We don't believe this. I struggle with this all the time that God really will do what He said He is going to do. Because let's be honest, when we tread the verge of Jordan, when our, last, when our eyes are ready to close for that last moment, those are the moments where is He really faithful to do what He said He's going to do? For a believer, we know He is because what have we seen? Him faithful day in and day out, time in and time out. All of these times, God has been faithful. Back to our text here in Genesis 1. There's also another interesting pattern here. And we've been talking about patterns. Hopefully you're getting it. God said and it happened, right? But here's a, here's a pattern that you're going to see that's a very interesting thing. Because we have to make sure we understand this. Salvation in the gospel is not an afterthought that God was creating a perfect world and then things just went really miss and he's like, oh boy, I've got to solve this. All right. This was the plan from the very beginning all the way moving forward. And I'll show you a couple passages where we know that. But what we see here is when God created the world, he knew certain things were going to take place. And how did he know that? Because he had planned them to take place. And so what we have is the pattern of God saying he's going to do something and then doing it in time and space. For sake of time here once, I need to, though, though, just walk through this for a moment. Again, remember, God said it will happen, and it happened exactly how God said it would happen. This is a foreshadowing. This is one of those wonderful foreshadowings of the cross. I want to just think through this for a second. Long before the cross was raised on Golgotha, the death of Christ was foretold. You can just go even to Revelation 13, 18. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. We do not have a lamb that gets slain halfway through on Golgotha. This lamb was planned to be slain from the very foundation of the earth. And when we think through this here, you go, but wait a minute, Tim. He was slain when he was on Golgotha, was he not? And I would say the lamb was slain, was the text that before the foundation of the earth, this was the plan. Because, but believer, but think, through this for a moment. If you were to stand on that, on Friday, or if we, we celebrated on Good Friday, if you were to stand on that day when Christ was on the cross, here's what you would see. You would see Jesus there, and you would see two thieves next to him, and you would see the might of the Roman army standing there killing a criminal. 
opposed criminal. You would see the Jewish people around mocking him. You would have seen all of those things, but here's what John tells us what you did not see, but you should have seen. This is Jesus' own words. John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, speaking of his life, I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. This is a charge I've received from my Father. God, in complete control of all things, literally laid down His life. Yes, we saw the might of the Roman army, but what did we literally see? The Lamb slayed before the foundation of the world, laying down His life, because that was what the Father's will was given to Him before the foundation of the world. And what do we see? The pattern here is, here's what God says. Look at 6. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the waters from the water. So now he's telling us what he's about ready to do, right? Just like on the cross. I'm gonna, this is what we're about ready to do. And then what do we do? We do it in time and space. And so now we get to Genesis chapter day 2 here. God says it, and now in verse 7, And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. The pattern of him telling you he's going to do something and then has the power to do what? To do it. Even working within man and his will and all these other things, what does God say? This is going to happen and it happens. So do not think, oh man, that you can thwart God's plan. Because what God says is going to happen, happens. So when you look around and you go, all, it seems that the wrong is all so strong, what do we know? God is the ruler yet, is the greatest. Like, Well, I think we knew that along the way, right? And these are the things, believer, that should give you hope while the ship is being shaken, while the waves are crashing against, while when you're talking to someone and you go, how are you so blind to these things? That God is at work accomplishing what He wants to accomplish when He wants to accomplish because He has said it and it will take place. Back to our creation account. Why is the atmosphere so important? I mean, like, what, why, why take a whole day to spread out some water. I mean, like, really? And in your mind, you're like, I get the light and darkness thing, but like a whole day with water. What, what's going on there? And I think, again, what we see is the beauty of God creating the world around us. The earth's atmosphere is that thin band of air made up of numerous layers based on temperature. Without this protective blanket, life on earth would not exist because this atmosphere protects us from the heat and the radiation emitted from the sun. And it also contains the literal air you breathe. So what was said last week, and I've decided I'm going to say this every week until I thoroughly understand it, until you thoroughly understand it, everything God does is perfect and completely wise, and it is the fittest means to accomplish everything He has decreed. What has He decreed? That there would be life on earth, and what is the fittest way to do that? The way He did it. Take any other planet, take any other atmosphere and try to live there, you're struggling. Not only do we struggle to even get to Mars, let alone how are we going to breathe when we're there. We got to the moon and we realized real quick, take off that helmet, you will be with him. All right? Just like the, the astronauts and the cosmonauts when they got up and they said, there is no God. That great cosmonaut from Russia there that said, there is no God, I've been up. And someone said, step outside without a spacesuit for two seconds and you will see. You know, we look around and we say the beauty of God's creative world they created is all around us. Now, here's something I want to think through, though. Where did he place humanity? He placed humanity within the waters. 
We have the waters above, we have the waters below, and where is humanity? Placed within the waters, in this protective water. And so what I want to do is, we're going to spend some time walking through the biblical use of water. This is not as if God could not have done anything else on day two, but why water? And I think there are so many truths to, to dig through from this. Now the problem is going to be, uh, we're not even going to begin to scratch the surface on this. So I'm just going to give you a little uh, small taste of this. And so uh, hang on to your hats here. So Genesis chapter 2, let's just start fl flying through this. Genesis chapter 2, 5 and 6. After God created the world, how is he going to water the world? What does it tell us there? That a dew comes up from the water there. And it says there was no bush on the field, yet in the land no small plant of the field had sprung up for God and not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground. And amidst a mist was coming up from the land that was watering the whole face of the ground. And so what we see here is this water that is coming up, bringing life, giving it water, sustaining life is the theme that is being played there. Without water, you do not have life that is sustained. Even thinking through this then, even before man is created, let's take a moment and let's just think even how God creates human beings. What do we have? What's the spot inside the mother's womb even filled with that is a protective layer that God has given us? Water, is it not, where the baby is knit together? I think these are phenomenal symbolisms for us to think through this. That protective layer of water that He even creates life in. And not only that, we have this beautiful thing, that water that is here to sustain life. At times when man rebels against God, what is he going to use water to do? Bring judgment. Genesis 6:17, the judgment that pours down upon mankind. And it's not only a little bit of water. What do we have? A whole worldwide flood covering every mountain and hill. And now this water that was supposed to sustain life because of rebellion against man, what does God do with that water? Cleans the whole earth, save Noah and his family. Not only that, but now when Israel is ready to enter into the promised land, Israel, the nation of Israel, who, when they were in the land of Egypt, in the land of slavery, they would get their water to, to, for, for all their crops, was when the Nile would overflow, they would go dig a channel and the water would come down there. Now God, as they're entering in, in the great sermons that Moses is preaching, in Deuteronomy eleven seventeen, Moses says to them, your water will come from the rain when you obey God. If you do not obey God, the water will not come. The rain will not come. And so you see this all throughout the prophets. When Israel is rebelling against God, literally they have drought. When they are obeying God, they have blessing by the, the rain coming at that time. Now turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 1. Now Isaiah, a prophet who was sent by God to tell Israel, you rebellious people, you are rebelling against Almighty God, and remember what was the way that Israel was told that they were being obedient by the Lord sending the rain when it was supposed to come. And now Isaiah stands before the people, and he's going to testify to the people of God in Isaiah 1-2, and what does he say? Who is screaming that they're rebelling? The heavens and the earth, because what does he say? Oh heavens and oh earth, look, proclaim, because the heavens and the earth are proclaiming that Israel has rebelled against their Creator because they're not getting the rains when they need to get. If Israel would just look and see, they would understand that they've rebelled against Almighty God. And Isaiah starts off that. Moses and other passages in the Old Testament, we don't turn, to turn there, he would say, the heavens will declare that you are rebelling against God because the rains will not come. 
I mean, you just go down through Elisha and Elijah and all of the prophets of Baal and all of these things going on and how water was used as God's blessing and curse, and you can flow through all of that. And not only that, now let's go to the New Testament and look at some passage. Go to Acts 14. And in Acts 14 here, we see God saying, I have left you a testimony. Here's the testimony that I have left you. In Acts 14, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own way, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. Meaning he allowed the nations to go the way they wanted to go, but here was the witness he left him. He did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. What was the witness that he has given to mankind? The sheer fact that he sends rain upon them to give them the, the food and the things they need to satisfy their hearts with good things. And not only that, flip back to Matthew chapter 5. And we see how rain is a great illustration of God's incredible mercy on rebellious people. You may not know this, but there are people around us who hate God. Just throw that out to you real quick. There are people around us that are blasphemous, that they profane the name of God daily. There are people that hate God at, to his very core, which is interesting. They hate him so much they say he doesn't exist, which is very interesting. Why atheists are so angry at something that doesn't exist. All right, but that's its own argument for another day. But as the rain is coming across, and it's moving across from Spencer all the way over to Stratford, it does not stop and only rain on the Christian farmer who's following God and then take a vert this way or the other, even though you may think it does, even though you may go, why does the rain always come, then it hits the old plane and stop, or whatever. That is not because there's more righteous people on one side or the other, because what does Matthew 5, 45 tell us? And so, let me get to the right one. And so is the sons of father, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Where does he send the rain? To both, the just and the unjust. And what does the unjust do? They shake their fist at God and they shout whatever they want to shout, but what does God in his mercy still and his grace still do? Say, you're an undeserving sinner anyway, just like this Christian farmer who is an undeserving sinner saved by grace. You're an undeserving sinner anyway, and I will still be gracious on you. So even that concept, the idea of water and rain, let me just put it this way. What kind of rebellion do you think it is when we complain that it's raining? I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, isn't it amazing how we can get so angry at all these things? Or even, let's put it this way, us central Wisconsinites, when rain comes in a different form, all right, called snow, and what do we do? Can you believe the reservoirs are going to be filled this spring? I mean, that's what we're basically saying. Can you believe that God is faithful once again to send us rain in a different form? All right, uh, God keeping His Word. Uh, I mean, literally, this is what we're saying, right? God giving us ground that is going to now have the water it needs for crops to grow, and we complain, and we grumble. Not only that, but one of the wonderful things about Scripture is this. 
Not only has rain showed us the theology of rain, which I'll tell you what, we have not even begun to scratch the surface. I would encourage you could spend years digging into all of that. But let's even go the way God uses water. Not, as wa- not only is water needed for our physical living, right? You go three days and you're not living without any water. But water is used in the Bible many times to, to help us understand not only our great need for physically, but spiritually. Psalm 42.2, as the deer longs after the stream, so our soul should long after God. Just like we long, and I could talk to you right now. I'm going to throw something in your mind. How many of you are thirsty? All right, even that thirst right now that I'm talking about, even in your mind you're going, I could use a little drink of water. And that thirst, I would ask you, do we thirst for the living God even that same way at all? And the only reason we thirst for the living God is because our heart and mind have been caught up by the desire to know Him even more. I mean, that's what many of the Bible writers, oh, that I would know Him more in the fullness of knowing who God is. That's why when Jesus is sitting there at the, with the woman at the well, a woman who was trying to fulfill all of her needs in relationships. If only I had more relationships that would fill this void. He looks at the woman at the well and says, Listen, I'll give you water that you will never thirst again. You've been trying to solve it with all these worldly things, but let me give you living water. Water that will quench your deepest needs and your deepest thirst. And all of this started on day two. Now, we just flew through that. Just a little side note here. So when I was a kid, um, especially as a young boy, I'd have a lot of extra energy. And there were times where that extra energy would get me in trouble. And one of the, and if my parents wanted to discipline me, if they were going to use some type of pain method, I would just grin and bear it and then be right back at it in 30 seconds. So how do you get a little boy to to slow down? Well, you put him in a chair for five minutes. And that might as well put me in a chair for eternity, right? So I'm sitting there 20 seconds into it saying, Mom, is the time up yet? And she'd say, nope. Because you asked, you're going to be there another minute. And I'd go, huh. I'd make it two or three minutes. Hey, Mom, are the five minutes up yet? No, because you asked. You're going to be there a little bit longer. And I'm like, oh, like, duh, Tim. You know, like, catch on, right? So some of you have asked, how many sermons will we have in Genesis? (laughs) And so (laughs) if you haven't gotten from just what we can learn about water, all right, you have asked. All right, and we'll just leave it at that. Okay. That being said, we need to get to a point here and wrapping up a very important point in Genesis chapter 1. So back to Genesis chapter 1. I pray by God's grace you have been encouraged by the sheer fact that you could take the theme of water and trace it all the way through the Bible and see depth upon depth upon depth. Like even down to the point where I still don't even know what I would say. When Jesus was stabbed in his side, what came out? Water. Or like, why, why does the Bible go out of its way to remind us of these things? Okay, like, there are certain things you just start walking down through the beauty of all of these things that are there. All right, that, that why does Christ say over and over again, He shows His power over the sea, right? And all, what does water in the ocean have to do with anything? And all of these things that God has created. 
the beauty of Scripture is just beyond wonderful when you dig into it. Because guess what you find out real quick? There's so much more we've got to study. There's so many more things we have to do. And then we get to this phrase. The evening and the morning. Again, remember when the Bible gives us a pattern, right? We're supposed to pause and think about the pattern. So I'm going to give you one of the basic principles of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the understanding of Scripture. And here it is. When common sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. I'll help you out one more time. When common sense makes perfect sense, you seek no other sense. So at the end of every creation time period, we have, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Then we have, after the second creation time period, there was evening and there was morning the second day. Then we have, after the third creation time period, there was evening and there was morning the third day. Then we have, after the fourth creation time period, there was evening and there was morning the fifth day, fourth day. Then we have, after the fifth creation time period, there was evening and the morning, and you keep going, all right? We're going to go all the way down to six. Then we had, after the next time period, the evening and the morning. Do you see a sense of pattern? All right. Now, I want to make sure we're clear on this. By Moses, who spent time literally before the face of God, wrote this. Moses, who stood before the face of God as a friend would stand before a friend, communicating the truth of God's Word. He would talk and have intimate conversations with God. So when Moses wrote this, he was trying to communicate something to us. When Moses wrote this, he was trying to communicate a very important truth. That each of these time periods was bookmarked by an evening and a morning, and it was considered a day. This is why, again, when perfect sense makes common sense, and common sense makes perfect sense, you seek no other sense, right? When it's obvious in front of it, what the Bible is proclaiming here is that the creation of the world was done in day form, meaning 24-hour time periods. Now, you may say, but Tim, I think science tries to argue something differently. And I would say, okay, but here's what the Bible says. So now we're at a crossroads. What do I do? Do I just sit there and now try to reinterpret the Bible, or do I let the Bible tell me what the Bible says? I'll help you out. We let the Bible speak, and we wait for science and everything else to catch up. And so here's what is in front of us. If I'm going to say, well, science thinks this, I've got to go back and reevaluate what the text says. Now we're saying that man, remember science is man's observation of the physical universe. Now man is determining what the Bible says, not the Bible telling us what is going on. And if I can reread into Genesis chapter 1, whatever I think the word day actually means, and I'm just going to reinterpret the word day into what day actually means, it's not too far steps. Try that in the 1800s, 1900s. Do that, O oh church, for a couple of years. And now all of a sudden we're going to get to the idea of male and female. And hey, let's, not re- let's just reinterpret that. We did not get to where we are today in a vacuum. What we got was we had a church when all of a sudden 
the evolutionary thought process, which is anti-God, which is blasphemous, was tried to put into our Bibles and tried to somehow bring together two things that cannot be ever brought together, being brought together. And now we have what we've made is man being more powerful than God and man being the one who determines what the Bible says, not what the clear teaching of Scripture clearly states. It's not too long before man then says, I am God. I am on the throne. I'll tell you what's important. I'll tell you what matters. Now, just in case you're saying, well, is that the only place that this happens? Turn your Bibles real quick to Exodus chapter 20. Just in case if you are not sure if the word day there means day, turn to Exodus chapter 20 and we'll look at verse 8. So now when we're going through the commandments, there are many times where a commandment is stated and it's just stated, like thou shalt not murder. There's no explanation given to that other than thou shalt not murder, right? And so thou shalt not steal. But all of a sudden we go, why out of all of the commandments, why does God go out of his way to add a tag on into this commandment? And so let's read through it. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or your sojourner within the gates. Now we have the word for. Here's a reason. Here's the reason why this is to take place. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He's literally saying, just like you have six days in a week, or we would say seven days, we have seven days in a week here, this week pattern literally came from how God created the world. Like, if you need any more argument than that, I'm going to go now, because now what you're saying is, well, the Ten Commandments don't really matter. I don't know what's going on with that. And you create a whole mess. Instead, remember that when common sense makes perfect sense, we need to seek no other sense. So we don't run in fear because a group of people who, if you've done any science, the scientists never agree on anything. So when scientists say they all agree on something, you pretty much removed yourself from science and you just have a political agenda in front of you because the hallmark of science is skepticism and prove it. Prove me, prove this and that, and that's why we're marked by theory. But praise God, we do not have to look at the Bible with theory because the God who created the heavens and the earth has said it, and it is so. So in front of us is left, who is the final authority? The Word of God or my own finite mind? I think it's pretty clear. I don't think it takes really that hard of an argument to say the Bible's clearly teaching that day one and day two, we'll get to day three in a little bit, but day one and day two are created in a 24-hour time period. Now, you may sit here and bust a gut and try to struggle with all these things going on with where do the light sources come from or where do these things come from? And I will go, yeah, they're fun to speculate, but God knows. There's many things in this world that I will not be able to grasp, I will not be able to understand. But yet God does, and He holds them in His hand. 
And so I want to end with, what did we learn today? I'm going to end with a statement that hopefully by the end of our time in the creative order of Genesis, and I'll read it to you twice. Everything God does is perfect and completely wise, and it's fittest means to accomplish everything he decreed. Everything God does is perfectly and completely wise and the fittest means to accomplish everything he has decreed. So when you step out and you look at creation, when today you look out and you take a breath of air and the water vapor comes filling your lungs and you see the beauty around us of all of the things that we have, when you walk by and you take a drink of water and you understand that on day two, God spent a whole day making sure that life can live within the water. When you see a newborn baby being born and you see that first breath of water-filled air that they're taking and the protective water around them. When you're outside and you crave a drink of cold water, before you take that drink of water, may you say, Lord... Help me crave you as much as I crave this physical water. I really would encourage you, dig into this theme of water that goes throughout the whole text of Scripture. I mean, even one that came to my mind, what does he cry out for? I thirst. <laughs> Jesus on the cross. I mean, I'm just, uh, you can just keep going, right? There's such beauty that is there. So don't cut yourself short by your quick little ditties that can happen when we don't study the Word of God in its depth. Wrestle with it. Fight with it. Dig in. Don't be satisfied until you have fully grasped, which you never will, the things of Almighty God. There is so much beauty and depth around us, but we pass it by so quickly. Just to share a personal story here real quick. One of the things I love to do, when we're by a graveside at a funeral, and the families are there and everything else, and before the casket is lowered down or whatever they're going to do with it, I like to pause. And I like to say, we're not going to do anything here for a moment, but for a whole minute, I just want to be quiet. I don't want you to reflect. I want you to think about just the sounds that you hear around us and everything else. Because what are we hearing all around us at that moment? Life. What do we have in front of us? Death. The irony of it is so deep, but what do we all want to do? Let's just move on and go on to our next thing because we don't like to contemplate that beauty that we see in front of us right there. But we haven't gotten to that death part yet in our narrative of scripture as we going through. But we're not going to see the contrast until we see the beauty of what God has done. So if you have time over this next week here, I'd encourage you look up people talking about the delicate atmosphere that we live in, the beauty of it. If you can see they have all sorts of stuff as you look at the, the atmosphere and how delicate God, when he spread out everything and the beauty and the nature of God seen in creation, you can never get too much of that as you dive into it. All you want to scream out is, what a 
wonderful God. What a wonderful creator God. And so my prayer is that this week that your soul is lifted up in praise. Because what we're going to see here, Lord willing, but we know it will happen. Eventually this place is going to come alive with flowers and everything else. And we will see the beauty of the world again in a way, awakening. Let's not miss it by running around and picking up all of our sticks that fell down from this last winter and everything else, the beauty that God has right in front of us and how all creation is screaming. Praise Him. Let's pray. Dearly Father, fill us with a greater knowledge of You as Creator. Help us to pause and to take moments to reflect on the beauty of who You are because you have displayed your mighty hand in creation. Help us now. As we try to describe the greatness and the worth of you, give us words and help us to know how to live faithfully for a God who has said what he will do, and he is faithful to do it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You could stand with us as we sing. Please stand and open your hymnal.